0: All right, good morning, familia. Good morning. Once again, Father, happy Father's Day for those of you that are fathers. Um, I just want to uh, remind you, if you haven't seen it already, that uh, we have a gift uh, for you at the end of the service. We're going to be talking about self-indulgence today, uh, and we have donuts for you. So <laughs> we didn't think that went through. <laughs> oh, man. All right. (laughs) The text for today comes from the book of Philippians. I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word. If you're wondering why we do this, we do this because we believe that when we read the word of God, he's assigned reverence to him when we stand up. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read from verses 17 to 21. Let's start in verse 17. Join together in the following... In following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly uh, await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Lord, I pray that you speak to us this morning. As we're finishing with this series and and weapons of self-destruction, please speak uh, into our hearts, Lord. Um, Holy Spirit, allow us to see and understand. Give us the gift uh, of repenting. Allow us, Lord, to believe what the Scripture says. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, you may be seated. So, last sermon of this seven week sermon series that we call Weapons of Self-Destruction, and as I already told you, we're talking about the sin of self-indulgence. So if you you haven't been with us for seven weeks, we have been talking about these seven sins that are known as the seven deadly sins, and we talked about pride and envy and anger and lust and anxiety and greed, and today we're talking about self-indulgence. Now, if you are familiar with that list of uh, sins, you know that the in the traditional list, this sin is called gluttony, um, but there's a reason why, as a preaching team, we decided not to call uh, this sin gluttony because uh, that's reduced to just one sin and is the sin in overeating, right? Um, but that's not what the Bible says when it comes to this sin in a specific. So these are my three points for today. We're gonna talk about we're gonna define self-indulgence. You know what is it? The Bible says. What's the definition of this? Number two. We're going to be try to expose self-indulgence, meaning why is it that this sin is such a dangerous thing? And number three, we're going to see what is it that we need to kill? Not to manage, but to kill self-indulgence. Uh, and of course, this is the part where we always bring the gospel. So let's go with the first point, defining self-indulgence. In uh, before I give you the definition, let me, let me tell you why is it that uh, we think that we got to talk about this. And why is it that we think that this topic... Is such an important topic, um, and I think that there are two main reasons. Number one, um, because we believe that this is one of those topics that we don't talk about much, partly because we don't think that it's such a big issue. So even as a, as a preaching team, um, you, you don't know this, but as a preaching team, we come together, all the preachers, so... Pastor Rob, Pastor Will, uh, Pastor Phil, Pastor Lan, and myself. Uh, we come together and we pray and we think about what is it that we're going to teach the church or what books we're going to go through and things like that. When we thought about this one, um, actually, even among ourselves, we're talking and saying, "Well, should we talk about that one?" You know, maybe not everyone is having such a big issue with that one. But the the more we thought about it, the more we realized that part of the part of the issue is that we think that it's not a big issue. Um, it's interesting because people like Billy Graham, for example, when he, when he talked about this subject, this is what he said. This is a sin that most of us commit, but few of us mention. It is one of the prevalent sins among Christians. Right? So, um, I mean, if Billy Graham thinks that it's an important topic, I think we should. It's interesting because I was being reminded this week of this encounter that the pastor Charles Spurgeon had with D. L. Moody. This is a famous thing that happened between them. Spurgeon used to smoke cigars. So I'm not saying that you should, that you, I'm not saying anything about that. <laughs> uh, but in this encounter, D. L. Moody uh, was invited to speak in this conference and um D.L. Moody had already told Spurgeon that he had an issue with him smoking cigars, right? What happened is that in this conference, D.L. Moody goes and gives his whole teaching and the dangers of smoking cigars. (laughs) The problem, though, was that D.L. Moody uh, had issues with self-control when it came to food. And this is what Spurgeon told him. Mr. Moody... I'll put, down this, I'll put down my cigars when you put down your fork. <laughs> and that's how the church got divided. <laughs> but that in itself, you know, so I'm not saying that it's okay to smoke cigars, but, I'm, but it's interesting that even some of us would say, well, that's a major sin, but if you eat too much, that's not so bad. Did you know that 37% of our population... As a general rule, 37% of our population, no, we spent about 37% of our annual budget in food, 37%. And um, so I think that we, we do have a weird relationship with food. I think that's an issue, right? But the second reason why we got to uh, talk about this um, It's because I think that the tendency is to think that there are other sins that are more dangerous than this sin. But what I want you to see is that we fail to see that our relationship with food and our relationship with drinks, um, this excessive appetite that some of us may have for food and drinks is just as indicative of our relationship with other appetites. That's why I didn't wanna, we didn't want to go for the word gluttony. Because our relationship with food is actually a window into, into our souls because we deal with food the same way we deal with other appetites. So we must keep in mind that whatever controls our appetites controls the way we live. Our attitude toward food and drinks and anything else is a reflection of our attitude toward anything else that we might enjoy. So we got to ask the question, is this an issue? Are we people that are driven uh, in such a way or live in such a way that we are uh, bound to satisfy our appetites? And I think that that's what Paul has in mind in this text. So in this text, Paul says that there are two ways to live. One way is to live for Christ, and another way is to live as an enemy of the cross. And we find that in verses 17 and 18. Notice here how at the beginning of verse 17, he's calling the congregation or his audience to follow his example and to use people like him and other people, godly people, as models to look at them and to live as they live. So that's one way to live. The other way to live is at the end of, the ver- of verse 18, is as a, uh, live as an enemy of the cross. Now, um, I find those two verses extremely convicting. So here's a Father's Day application. Leaders lead by example. If you are a father... Your number one ministry is to lead by example. That's why I find those verses so convicting. Because Paul, in a way, is saying to this congregation, if you want to know what Christianity looks like, look at the way I live. Don't you find that crazy? If you want to know what it means to have a Christ centered life, look at the way I live. Look at me as a model. So once again, Paul has here in mind saying, well, there's only two ways to live. Either you live a Christ-centered life, or you live a life that is a life that you live as an enemy of the cross. So the question we got to ask the text is, what does that mean, though? What What does it mean to be an enemy of the cross? And I think that the answer comes in verse 19, when he says that their God is their stomach. That's a really interesting phrase right there. Because he's saying this is people that are bound to their stomach, to their appetites. Actually, if you look at all the scholars that talk about this passage, um, they would say that what he has in mind, what Paul has in mind here, is the sin of self-indulgence. It's a metaphor here to describe a person uh, whose goal in life or whose end in life is to gratify or satisfy his desires, his appetites, and even his feelings. Actually, the word stomach could be translated as physical desires or the desires of the body. There are only two ways to live. As a, Christ cent- um, like kind of a Christ-centered life in which the ultimate desire is to have Jesus and to be satisfied by Jesus or to live a self-centered life in which I want to satisfy my appetites, self-indulgence. This is not the first time that Paul says this. Romans chapter 16, verse 18. he says that there are people that are not serving the Lord Jesus Christ, but they are serving their own appetites. The word serving there is the word slaves. You get to be only one of these two. A slave to Christ or a slave to your appetites. Now I want you to notice something here. There is nothing, that, notice that the text doesn't say that there's anything wrong with food. Do you notice that? The problem is not food. God created food. God created vegetables, and then God he created meat. There's nothing wrong with food. We need food. We are called to enjoy food. Have you noticed how many times Jesus spent time eating with people? That's not the problem. When Jesus returns, we call that what the, the, kind of the ultimate party, right? The ultimate meal, the ultimate supper. The problem is not food. The problem is our relationship with food and our relationship with any other appetites. Now, this is what is interesting. It's so easy to hear something like this and say, well, I'm thin. I don't have an issue. It's not about that either. So uh, Thomas Aquinas, when he was talking about this subject, he would say this, you know if you're struggling with this, if, if you eat too fast, I'll explain why that in a second, if you spend way too much in money, in food, if you eat too much, if you're greedy with it, or if you're too picky. So everyone here is part of that list. Right? And like you see, when you eat too fast, in a way that you cannot stop, right, for us Christians, at least to thank the Lord for the provision he has given us, don't think that's not, You, you struggle with food, right? If you are the kind of person that you spend way too much in food, even if you eat little portions, people, you might struggle with that. If you eat too much, that's that's what it is, right? If you're greedy with it. So my wife doesn't like to share her french fries. (laughs) She struggles with this sin. (laughs) And because she doesn't want to share those fries with me, and I get upset, I'm struggling with that sin. (laughs) So it's this thing about our relationship with food. It's not about eating too much or eating too little. It's when you are controlled by your appetites. It's when you lose control over your appetites. It's when we only the only thing we think about is, we, I just want to satisfy what I want. That's important to keep in mind. It's not about food. It's not about quality. It's not even about quantity. It's about your relationship. So let me give you a simple definition Here is Self-indulgence is when your appetites control you instead of you controlling your appetites. Right Now, if you have been walking with us, we already talked about this when we're talking about lust. It's the same principle. That's point number one. So the second point is here. Why is this so dangerous? Well, let's talk about exposing self-indulgence. And I'm going to give you here four reasons, and what I want you to see, if you have been walking with us through this series, is that almost every single one of the sins we have talked about, have, uh, they have the same results, and they, they have the same description, actually. So for example, here, number one, he says that self-indulgence is idolatry, and I get that from verse 19. It says, their God is their appetite. Their God is their appetite. Whenever you have something that becomes a God, it automatically controls you. It automatically, it automatically becomes something that we worship. It could be anything. It could be food. It could be a car. It could be a house. It could be your job. The moment you put something and you put it in such a place that you, must be, that you are in control of it, it's a way to worship. So look at what this author, Brian Hedges, uh, says about This. Self-indulgence is about more than the amount of pizza one consumes. It's about the prioritization of our body appetites over the spiritual reality. Self-indulgence is a worship disorder. Isn't that crazy? I know that some of you guys don't like that phrase, but I'm sorry. Self-indulgence is the sin of looking for food to satisfy the craving of our souls for security. A sense of well-being, comfort, and control over our lives. Self-indulgence is a hunger for earthly things as a substitute of God himself. Now, I was thinking about that when I said, that is so true. Have you ever wondered why why is it that we use the phrase comfort food? Have you ever thought about that one before? It is much easier as a Christian, all right? It is much easier for me to eat something than to pray. For me as a Christian, it is much easier to have something that will give me this instant satisfaction than to have to wait. Have you ever thought of the phrase stress eater? I mean, this doesn't apply to everybody, but for some of us, especially if you're Christian, this is when you use food as a way to cope with difficult situations. Have you ever thought about that before? No, come on, just, just wait. The more I thought about this, the more I realized that even among Christians, this is a big issue. Instead of seeking for God, instead of trusting God, instead of praying, instead of talking, talking to a brother or sister in Christ, instead of seeking for advice, instead of looking into the Bible, instead of spending time with God, instead of wrestling with God, we run to food, we run to drinks, we run to any other appetite you could think about. For some of us, it's not food, it's drinking. For some of us, it's spending money. Have you ever wondered why is it that we shop so much? I mean, listen, I don't want to I, I ask you to raise your hand because then you're going to feel really bad. But something inside of me wants to ask you to raise your hand. Because there is a tendency, if it's not food and if it's not drink, the next big one in the United States is shopping. I'm so worried. I got to go shop something. <laughs> and the next one is entertainment. Is when we find ourselves entertaining, uh, we find ourselves entertaining ourselves because we don't want to deal with things in life. In my opinion, entertainment is the biggest issue in our country today. When you look at the second generation, the younger generation, um, the most complicated thing we have as parents is to get between their relationship, to get in between the relationship of our kids and their phones. That's the hardest thing to do, you know. You need permission to do that. It's all about p- appetites. It's about distracting ourselves. It's us not finding in God what God gives. It's us looking for something else somewhere else instead of looking, at, looking for that in God. And that's partly because we have made of appetites an idol. The second thing that we see here is that self-indulgence is a slavery. And I use the same phrase and the same word. Whatever is your God, that thing demands loyalty, and that thing demands submission. Whatever thing is your God, that thing demands loyalty, and that thing demands submission. You remember in Genesis chapter 25, the story of Esau was willing to sell his birthright, his place of honor and responsibility for a plate of food. Now, maybe you would say, well, that might not be my case, but it, it might be just another appetite. Self-indulgence, number three, is self-destruction. Look at how the text says it in verse 19. Their destiny is destruction. Their glory is in their shame. Actually, I got a good illustration for this one here. Um, if you're familiar with the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, not the movie, but the book, actually, um, one of the main characters in the story is Edmund, right? And Edmund uh, encounters this wicked queen. And the way she controls Edmund is by giving, her, giving him, at least in the book you see the picture, uh, like this cake that he was called Turkish Delight. So, if, if, so I, when I was a teacher, I, I had my classroom read through all of this because um, I was trying to be evangelistic in the classroom. Um, So uh, we read through all of this, and one of the things that you see with this kid is that as soon as he tastes this thing, he's fully controlled by it. And C.S. Lewis, the author of the book, says right there, uh, anyone who has once tasted it, Turkish delight, would want more and more of it, and would even, if they were allowed, go on eating until they they killed themselves. Is when you want more, and you want more, and you want more, and you want more. Now, once again, we could talk about food or a drink, but you could do the same thing with almost anything. So by show of hands, how many times you guys ever eaten to the point that you feel so bad that you ate? Yeah, only like half of us. <laughs> That's just what it is, Right? Self-indulgence is a distraction. And on this one, I want to spend a few few minutes. Verse 19 says this, Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship, verse 20, is in heaven. Now, I find those two phrases super interesting. Because what Paul is saying here is that the reason why we struggle with self-indulgence is because we love what we have here way too much. Their mind, is said, said, earthly things. The word mind there is the word affection, is the word love. Is when you love what is here way too much. In the case of food, is when you love food way too much. It's when it comes to drinks, you love drinks way too much. When you like sweets, you like sweets way too much. When you like sports, you like sports way too much. When you like when you got when you think about work, is when you love work way too much. The, problems with self, the problem with self-indulgence is that we love things here way too much. And this is the other thing, though, that I see in verse 20. That we want here what we could only get there. The problem is not only that we want things way too much, but is that we want here on earth what we could only get There. Have you ever heard a phrase something like, man, this hamburger is heavenly? I've said it, and it's not true. You know why? Because just by biblical reasoning, I know that whatever hamburger I'm going to eat in heaven is going to be much better than with the hamburger that I have here. Yes, people, we might eat meat in heaven. The reason why I'm saying that is because we transfer that concept almost to anything. We want heaven here the way things are here, and that's simply impossible. Our obsession with satisfying our desires and appetites is because we're not thinking enough of what is yet to come. This is the danger in this that the more we try to, the more we love things here the less we are going to want the things there. So think about this. This is an application. Think about when, if you've ever been in a job that you get tired of your job, right? And you're thinking about uh, that next job that you're going to get. The more you think about that job, the less you enjoy this one. It's the opposite of that. The more you embrace what you have here, the, more, the less you're going to want what is coming. I'm getting this from St. Augustine. I'm not that smart. This is coming from St. Augustine. He used to argue that there's a difference between using things on earth and enjoying things on earth. He would say that the purpose why, the reason why God gives us all these things, food, clothing, music, work, anything, is for us to use those things... Um, as we journey in what is yet to come. But he would argue that the main problem is when we forget that the best is yet to come and we fall in love with the things in this journey. So this is what he says. Be careful that you don't enjoy things here so much that the interest of your home country diminishes. If we wish to return to our home country where true happiness can be found, we have have used this world, not enjoy it. So basically he says, we have permission to use everything here, but not enjoy it. And he doesn't mean enjoy like, man, I I don't get to enjoy this thing. What he means is when you love it so much that you forget what really matters. Here's another author that puts it like this. The dilemma posed by consumerism... Is not the endless manufacturing of desires, but the temptation to settle for desires far below what we were created for. C.S. Lewis would say, when you settle for nothing. Rebecca de Young and other authors, he would say this all of our appetites here are functional. The primary purpose isn't to satisfy us. It is to give us what is necessary to survive until we get home. So um, some of you know that I was a youth pastor before. I was a little pastor for Iglesia. And um, we used to do this camp that was called the survival camp. And literally, like, we survived in the forest. And I would take all these kids, and then I would give them food that is mainly dry food. But we would give him food that was no good. <laughs> There's no salt, no sugar, no condiment. It was mainly like rice and chicken and tuna and crackers. And I had my team survive for five years. Not five years. (laughs) Five days. Um, But I remember, because I had to go through that camp before I did the camp, but um, I remember that my main complaint and my students' main complaint was like, this food is terrible this doesn't taste like anything. Because you don't have condiments, it doesn't taste like anything, right? If you don't have salt, it doesn't taste like it. It's no flavor. And I remember helping them understand that the purpose of the meal was not to satisfy their appetites. was to keep them alive. So we lost some kids in the, in the process. <laughs> and we stopped doing the survival camp. But the idea is that I wanted them to have enough to survive knowing that at one point they're going to come back home to their mother's meals. We forget that the Christian life is like that. Nothing fully, su- fully satisfies here. Nothing here tastes the way things are going to taste in heaven. Nothing is good enough the way things are going to be good enough in heaven. Nothing is as appealing here as it is going to be in heaven. Nothing is as powerful and as beautiful and amazing as things are going to be in heaven. We forget. Our problem with self-indulgence is that we forget that this right here is not enough. It was designed that way. It's part of the journey Self-indulgence is idolatry. Self-indulgence is slavery. Self-indulgence is destructive. Self-indulgence is a distraction. It's a distraction of what is yet to come. How do we kill it then? Point number three. I'm going to give you three things really quick. Number one, you need to embrace what is yet to come. Notice that in verse 20, he talks about the citizen, our citizenship in heaven. And he says that this is where we await for our Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So the principle here is to be intentional about recognizing that this is a journey. That this is not the end of the road. That the best is yet to come. That's the reason why Jesus died. That's the reason why the text calls Jesus the Savior. When you think of Jesus as a Savior, we're not just thinking about Jesus dying for your sins, but Jesus dying for your sins so he secures what is yet to come. Actually, that's the reason why he resurrected. He resurrected to guarantee what is yet to come, the future resurrection of everything else. That's number one. Number two, in order for you to learn how to deal and kill your self-indulgence desires, you got to learn, look at the phrase when it says, that we eagerly await for the Savior. The The word eagerly there is when you desperately want something. What I get from that text is that the only way I kill my, my, um, my sinful desires is when I'm intoxicated with Jesus. Is when I want Jesus above everything else. Is when I find Jesus more beautiful than anything else. Is when I find Jesus more fulfilling than anything else. So when my body is asking me for something, I must ask the question. Does this thing give me what only Jesus can give me? So listen to this author when he says, If self-indulgence is really a worship disorder, then the solution is to relocate our worship. We idolize food or anything else because we are trying to fill fill our souls by filling our bodies. But no no matter how much we eat or how little or what kind, or, in uh, or any case, maybe it will never satisfy our souls. It is not designed to. But there is a bread that satisfies the true bread from heaven Jesus Himself. And then He quotes um, the Gospel of John, in which Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Hungry? Yes. Hungry for Jesus? Must. The only way our appetites submit to us is when we submit to Jesus. The only way we stop being controlled by our appetites is when we are being controlled by the love of Jesus. And number three, and this is practical. It's so interesting how you see so many texts in the Bible that when they describe God, they describe it as Describe him as food. I'm giving you an example here in uh, Psalm 63. He says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. That's an amazing sentence. My lips will glorify you. Verse 5. I will be fully satisfied as with the riches of foods. And here the Bible gives us two spiritual practices that I think helps us with self-indulgence. Number one is the forgotten discipline practice of fasting. You know that I don't hear a lot of people talking about fasting anymore. It seems like if that's an old school thing, but it's a Bible thing. The way to learn how to kill your self-indulgence is when you learn how to fast. Is when you separate yourself and you deprive yourself of certain things. It could be food or it could be anything. Just to spend time with God. Not to get something from God, but to get God. And number two participate in the Lord's Supper. The more I thought about this as my years as a pastor, the more I realized how important the Lord's Supper is. We are being reminded that the only thing that tastes perfect is Jesus. That the only thing that satisfies my my hunger is Jesus. Every time we do communion, that's exactly what we celebrate. So let me finish with this. And this is a Father's Day application. All right? The most important thing that you could do as a father is to learn how to kill your sin. The best thing that you could do to protect your family and love your family is to kill your sin. Yeah, your family needs your money. And yet your family needs a, need a home. And yet your family needs everything that you give. But the most important thing that you can do for your family is your holiness. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Let's pray. Beautiful Savior, we love you so much. But we love you because you loved us first. Lord, please forgive us every time we try to distract ourselves with different things and food and drinks and entertainment and work and anything else, Lord. And we forget that really, really what truly satisfies our thirst, truly satisfies our hunger, is you. Please bring us to you so and so close that we stop satis- looking for satisfaction in something else. Please make it happen. In the Jesus. we pray. You will see.